Hola, I'm Elias Torres, co-founder and CTO of Drift. You are listening to the American Dream Podcast. Did you know that Drift is part of just 2% of VC-backed startups led by Latin American founders? Well, I'm on a mission to change that. On this show, you will hear from leaders who have achieved their own version of the American Dream. We'll talk about what the process looked like to get there, the obstacles they face along the way, and the work we still have to do to build the new face of a diverse corporate America. Bienvenidos a todos to another episode of the American Dream podcast. Today, I'm excited to have Isabel Gomez Vidal, Chief Revenue Officer of Moody Analytics, part of the Executive Council, on the show today. Isabel has risen to the ranks at Moody's. She started as a senior sales manager, director in their London office before moving to New York City and taking on this executive position. Today, we're going to talk about what journey looked like and how more people like her can do it. Isabel, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Elias, and I'm thrilled to be here and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I love showcasing stories of underrepresented Spanish-speaking immigrants, Latinos, and Spaniards today. You're from Spain. That's right. Española. Right. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, I mean, congratulations. Very impressive, right? CRO, public company, rose through the ranks, came from the outside and coming and running the whole company globally. What a big task. Tell me a little bit about that journey from a career perspective. I'd love to hear more. Yeah, yeah. So let me go back in time. Most of my professional career has taken place in London. And I moved to London to join Citibank as part of our, an internship program. And what it was supposed to be a six-month assignment ended up being a much longer time and ended up being staying in London for most of my professional career. And since then, I had a number of wonderful opportunities with other global organizations in the financial service industry. So I joined a small boutique consulting firm in London for a couple of years. Then I worked at FIS. And then fast forward in 2007, I found Moody's. And so a year after I joined, Moody's Analytics as a legal entity was created to bring under one umbrella all the businesses and all the assets that are non-rating related businesses. And that's really when my Moody's Analytics journey started. So since the formation of MA, Moody's Analytics, I experienced huge and significant growth, both organically as well as through a lot of the mergers and acquisitions, um, with an eye to adding more value to our customers and extending our value proposition and, and new capabilities into adjacent markets. And so, Elias, when I reflect on the last 15 years, I had a number of leadership roles in growth revenue related roles. So I started, as you said, as a sales manager in London and managing a team of relationship managers in Europe. And then as the business grew, I took the role of managing director heading the enterprise resolution business, which includes all the components that make our end-to-end risk management framework. Then fast forward in 2013, I was promoted to run Europe, Middle East and Africa sales organization across all products and services. And then fast forward to 2017, I was appointed to a global role as head of sales and customer service. And as part of that, I relocated to New York with my family. So I made that transition five years ago. My husband is originally from the US, which made the transition easier. 
And so that has worked pretty well for us. And then most recently, as part of the changes in the organization, a couple of years ago, I was appointed chief revenue officer across Moody's Analytics, part of the executive team overseeing, as you mentioned, $3 billion in revenue, really responsible for all revenue streams, both organically and organically. That includes go-to-market activities, thinking about new areas of growth, and creating alignment across all the operating units. So I tell you, it's been such a wonderful journey, and I enjoy it every minute of it. Yeah. I mean, I have so much respect for you, you know, uh, running a business here at Drift and understanding what it takes to hit revenue every quarter, <laughs> every year, right? And at the volumes that you're talking about in the billions of dollars, Oh my, I cannot imagine. You must be some tough lady there, you know, just <laughs> running, running a tight ship, running forecast calls. I cannot, I mean, you're dealing at a, at a global level, right? And it's, okay. it's, it must be fascinating how tough and organized and strategic you must be to accomplish that quarter after quarter. And you're publicly reviewed. Yeah, yeah. But it's all about the team, right? It's having the right network and the right team behind you align with the goals and the mission and ensuring that you're constantly nurturing teams and building teams and strategies and communicating that effectively so that they can follow with you in that journey. Yeah, no, that is no no easy task. No single individual can ever accomplish that. Sales is tough. What do you think in your upbringing made you get into sales? Was it clear to you that you were going to always be in sales? Do you like that pressure? <laughs> I really wasn't sure since I was little exactly what you know typical right many many sometimes we we sometimes ask to kids what do you want to do when you want to grow up I didn't have very clear what I wanted but let me just tell you a little bit about my background I was born and brought up in Spain in this very small and cheerful city of called Seville Sevilla I was one of four children and I remember the only thing I remember Elias is when I was little I had this very strong desire to travel and to go to new places. And I love and enjoy being with people and understanding and meeting different people. And I remember I had, you know, my earliest memory from back when I was seven to eight years old, I realized that the world was so much bigger than what I knew. And and probably more exciting than what I knew. And I had this deep curiosity about understanding people, understanding cultures, and understanding what is behind the different languages and norms and customs. And so I was fascinated with the unknown. And so as I grew older, this feeling became stronger and I was fascinated by by doing new things. I, as soon as I finished my university business degree in business and economic, I set out to fulfill my dream and focus my energy and my attention on that and relocated. And I decided to pack my bags and, and move to London, not knowing exactly what was there for me. You know, little I know, I found this job with City in the international trade finance and my journey started in a very international setup. What I remember One thing that I remember about my upbringing is my dad always said, you know, Isabel, the sky's the limit. And that has always been with me as an anchor point as I navigate life. You know, with any unknown situation, there's always challenges, right? But that's how you grow. I do think my family has been such a strong anchor in 
helping me and supporting me to pursue whatever my dreams are. And it's been such a positive influence, right, in my life. So that's kind of my background. And I think salespeople, there's a bit strong connection and relationship there. So I like business, I like wealth and financial growth, and I like people. And so I think there's a connection there. (laughs) No, no, absolutely. I wouldn't consider your career journey as typical, right? Mm. Anyway, like what you were able to accomplish and how much you were able to move around. I mean, I think that as an immigrant, and I think many of us in our podcast can relate, it takes a a special individual to move, right? Mm. And to bounce around and to just go to a new place and just discover Mm -hmm. one of my favorite books, The Alchemist. (laughs) Oh, The Alchemist. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I think we can all see ourselves a little. I feel like you're an alchemist, you know. Yeah, yeah, the Paulo Coelho. I love it, right? Yeah. I love it. Yes. Absolutely. And just go, going and journey and, and, and taking on crazy adventures and journeys, like you went to London and, and then going to New York. Tell me a little bit as you as a woman, right? Tell me how has been your experience in the corporate world? I think that we have come a long way, but it's really difficult and tough. I, I, I see it every day, right? We still not. I don't think we're, we're not sure really how to work well together and how to respect one another and, and how to take advantage of the different strengths that we have as individuals in the corporate world. What has it been like for you? I do think it's so important to focus on what you can control and ensuring that you're true to yourself and that you're making the right decisions even the micro ones, the small decisions that help you to move into the right direction. And I think everything starts with you. And what I mean by that, Elias, is sometimes we are our own worst enemy, right? And, you know, the little monkey mind saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not ready yet. I don't have the skills and I could go on. And so I think getting out of your own way is absolutely critical. I think forcing yourself to be comfortable with the uncomfortable is a skill that repetition and repetition and repetition, you know, I always say practice and preparation brings perfection, right? Over time. And so I think my experience is forcing yourself to be out there, joining networks of group of people even when I wasn't really comfortable, but just getting yourself out there, up there, speaking up in a room full of people, even if I wasn't sure if I was comfortable doing that and putting myself out there and raising my hand for additional projects, even if I wasn't sure that I could do it successfully, right? So I think all those things really matter and count. And then I think having the support system and being in the right organization that is going to help you to thrive is so important, right? And it's not just the organizations, it's your friends, your family, surrounding yourself with people who encourage you and who believe in you and that can serve you as a sounding board is really been very important in my life, right? And I think very important and applicable to other women that are navigating different transitions, right, in their corporate careers. I think my experience, especially in Moody's, has been unfortunate, that it's been very positive and that I have the opportunities to grow and to experience 
and having support a support network to help me to grow. I'm not saying that that's the case for every organization, but I think it's very important that you start with yourself and be very clear who you want to be and who do you think you can become, and then bringing people along with you that can help you to fulfill those dreams. So many great things you said there, right? And it's, I'll tell you a little bit, maybe it's, not, maybe it's a secret about me, but it's like, I'm not a big networker. Like I, I always felt like maybe it's a combination of imposter <laughs> syndrome and also a combination of I didn't want to be that guy that has doesn't have anything to bring to the group, like trying to show off. You know, I, I feel like I see a lot of people like me. It's imposter sometimes where I'm like I'm not belong to that group or I don't like to go into that group and show off things that I haven't done because a lot of people talk up, talk yes, themselves up yes. big time. It's like, I hate that, right? And so like, my approach to my career has been very, I just decided to put my mm-hmm. head down and work. The network that I built, it was mostly by interacting and selling to a customer, working with a customer and success. So like my interactions with customers and people that I interview and hired, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the people that I know, I haven't been a big networking. So I, I wonder, what, how, what do you think about that, those two approaches? Yeah. There is the build network, nurture relationships, yeah. and you grow with them. Or like my approach, what, what's your advice? I don't know what's the better one. You have to be authentic to yourself. You need to know who you are, right? And there is no one one single way of doing things, right? So I do believe that when you add value to people, they remember you. That could be a customer. That could be your colleague. That could be your boss, they will remember you, right? Because I think about relationship capital, right, a lot. It's about helping each other and serving others. When you do the right thing, in your case, you mentioned you keep your head down, you did your work, you went the extra mile, and people took notice, right? That's a way of doing it. It's not all that, and I think that's actually probably real to every single situation. I do think that it's also important to ensure that people notice you and ensuring that you just don't do their work and people don't know that you're doing the work. Right, right. It's bringing those two elements together, especially when you think about women. Work hard, be kind to others, right? Treat people the way that you want to be treated and put yourself up there and don't underestimate the value that you bring. Yeah, no, right? absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, in my case, I, I was fortunate. And I, I think another thing that you said was amazing. People need to internalize is raise your hand to do work that you were not asked to do or that nobody else wanted to do, or it wasn't fun or it wasn't pretty. You do those jobs and then people will pick you to do more important things, right? Yeah. And Elias, even if we sometimes have the fear of, oh, we're going to fail. Well, even if we fail, you try, you've learned something new, right? You expose yourself out there. And even by failing, you learn something new. Yeah. Right. So I always say to people, what I worry about this, in sales, there's a lot of handling objections, right? People are saying, I'm afraid that they're going to say no. Well, by not trying, you already have a no as an answer. Exactly. Just try it. You know, it could be the next public speaking engagement. Okay, just try. Whatever that is, it will force you to practice, to prepare, because every moment in life is a preparation for the next moment to come. Yeah, absolutely. 
But it's it's like, I mean, sales is like, it's a numbers game. It's about how many, if we cannot accept that failure, that how many people are going to tell us no? How many people are going to hang up the phone? I hang up the phone when the sales reps calls me. Yes. And then I see my own SDRs being able to book meetings over the phone with the cold call, right? And I'm like, I'm so impressed with their tenacity, right? And their personality to accept that rejection and those hangups and doing it. I know how to handle rejection in other scenarios, but... I appreciate and respect a lot of a sales reps job, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's the mindset. You need to have a mindset shift, right? And, and I think when you apply the principles of growth mindset and you don't take it personal, yeah, then growth happens. Are you coaching women in, in a sales organization to learn from you? Yeah. Look, I, given the growth that I've had, I recognize that I have a platform that enables me to amplify the inclusion and the diversity in the industry in which I operate. Elias, I'm very vocal about my journey, the challenges, right, and the successes that I have. And I hope that that helps to inspire others, right? Because the journey is never straight, right? There's a lot of ups and downs in the journey, right? There is, the journey is not linear journey, right? I spent a lot of time in mentoring people one-to-one and, you know, in sharing the story that I think that's a, a wonderful way to showcase what is possible, right, for others, because nothing comes to you on a silver plate, right? <laughs> that's not what life works in any place, right? So I do a lot of mentoring. I spend time with young people to help them understand what the road looks like ahead of them and, and to encourage them to stay engaged, And I think hopefully that can be an example that shows them possibilities. So I feel very passionate about that. Maybe it was easier for me growing up because I did not know what success looked like. I was completely unaware of what a CRO was or or how much money you can make or founding a company. And so like, I did not have as much stress Mm -hmm. earlier in my career. Because I was just working and learning and enjoying the journey. And I I feel like being in the journey is the best part of it. Yes. I see now younger people, professionals, and they're like so stressed out, right? Because they want to be that CRO when they're 22, you know? (laughs) And they're like, how do I get there? And, 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 And I understand that. It just puts a lot of pressure on them because it's such a long and windy journey, right? As you're in different steps and being in between journey... I think it's like the worst feeling ever. I don't know. It's nicer when you're in your journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're touching on multi-generational expectations. Our life has changed a lot, right? Yeah. And how do you find the right balance between pacing and doing things at the right pace? Because you have to experience challenges in your life to learn and grow, right? You can't be and expect that you can be the chief of whatever department in by having two years of experience, you had the journey is the most important, right? And it's about breaking barriers to growth, right? And it's when you start breaking barriers to growth, you can start being impactful to you and to others around you, right? It's interesting. The multi-generational aspect that you mentioned is an interesting one. It's an interesting one. And, you know, you, woman in sales, successful, male-dominated. I mean, like the stereotype of, of sales environment as being heavy male-dominated is, you know it, right? But as you moved up the ranks, what do you see as some of the biggest obstacles preventing other women like yourself from doing the same? I think a 
go back to some of the things that I mentioned before. I think, you know, there's a couple of things. I think it's about focusing what you can do. What I mentioned earlier, we can be our worst enemy sometimes right. in not seeing what is possible, right? So I think that's a, a very important piece. I think the other thing that I would say is... But more like, more obstacles, not, not like the things that we can do or women can do, right? But I mean, yeah. what are the obstacles that are there that they're there that are external to us, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. You need to be aware of them. Yeah, I, I think overall in general, I think corporations have to be more intentional in general, right, about what are the different programs that you can make a real commitment to bring diversity. It could be from a gender perspective. It could be in different dimensions, right? But yeah. it has to be part of your values and your goals and your mission, as a corporation and be really, really committed to it, right? And there are many different ways, right? There are different employee resources group on BRGs that helps to mentor and start bringing and articulating real transition, career transitions, roadmaps for different employees to ensure that we provide opportunities to people to make it easier for them to see what that looks like, right? Yeah. I, mean, I, I, think you're, I think you're touching on something that it's not clear enough. It's not even clear enough to me, right? This is a, I mean, I'm, I'm part of a 500, 600 person organization. Yes. We have ERGs and people don't understand what the ERG is. I mean, you just, it just hit me what you said, right? It's so subtle, but yes, the whole point of the ERG, if I were to understand what you said, is to focus on building opportunities and support Correct. the growth of the people. But instead, sometimes we focus too much on just agendas and parties or get-togethers or talks and, and not in like, how do we get make sure that people are getting promoted? Yeah. yeah Simple yeah. as that. Transitioning to new positions into the company, right? That retention, right? It's not even a blueprint, right? ERGs, not, they're not all the same in every company. Yeah. They struggle, I would think. Yeah, and I think that's why it's very important to have a very, make it a business, have very, treat it, the, uh, we call it business ERG. We move from employee resources group into business resources group because you want to make it, I think it's very important to make it part of your business imperative and have a very clear articulated goal and objective of what you want to get out of there and key metrics of what happened after all the activities that we did. How many people have got promoted? How many people changed departments and divisions? What are the number of women's or underrepresented employees that were promoted or moved? We gave them a different set of experiences for them to grow. When you make it part of your business goals and you track it, right, and you have clear visibility of those key metrics, things start happening. Exactly. It's that simple, right? I I think, and, and then it's another thing is that sometimes the ERG might say, well, we need to have, you know, 19% representation across all management for Latinos and across the whole company. Well, that's also not achievable Correct. Right, in a year or two. So it's like how many people we have in the company, how many people we have in the ERG, how many people are up for promotion, were we successful at getting those done, right? Hmm. Because there's bias that affects it, yeah. Yeah, and Elias, and I think to me it's more about showing that you're making progress versus having a hard number, right? Are you making significant progress versus actually nothing happened, right? Or we didn't move the needle. It's really showing and showcases and making part of the leadership, senior leadership team 
to make that part of the goal, the business goals for the corporation. I think that's critical. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so as you're doing this, tell me a little bit about, I'm here doing this podcast right in a way as a transition from being heads down working. And I felt like sometimes one-to-one advice is not scalable. So I feel, I felt like telling my story, I think is important. A lot of people tell me all the time, it's like, I kind of get tired of it. Here we go. I'm telling the same story over and over. I already know my story, right? It's like, it's it's not that important. It's not that impressive. I heard better stories. But then people are like, no, people need to hear, right? And people say like, tell me again. And so I did that myself a few times. And now I'm like, you know what? I'll do this podcast because I can tell other people's stories. So my responsibility is changing, right? As I have grown in my career and my accomplishments and trying to help. How has it been for you? Yeah. You mean in terms of the responsibility? How do you feel responsible and like, what do you feel like you need to do and accomplish for others, right? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I feel like an immense amount of responsibility given the journey that I've been through to share my story. And that's a way, right, of, of, of what you're doing is, is showcasing a way of doing that and tapping into diverse talent to help to, to move the agenda. I would say... I'm very intentional about tapping into talent that may may not be seen by others and may not be leveraged in the right way, right? And I think our job as leaders is to provide the right platform to people where they can shine and thrive. And it now sounds very idealistic, right? But it's all the little things that you do. And so to me, it's about giving a platform to people to make that person successful, right? And you can do that in different ways. You could do that in the work that you do, but also what you do outside of work, right? What are the other communities that you are tapping into that can help, right? To achieve some of the goals that we just mentioned. So I, for example, Elias, I'm part of the advisory board of the Posse Foundation. The Posse Foundation identifies underrepresented public high school students that may have extraordinary leadership potential, but they may be overlooked in the traditional college selection process. And so I joined POSSE, I think it's five years ago, four years ago as an advisory board member. And I love POSSE because it's all about creating possibility and creating opportunity and hope for a better future in leadership and talent. And believe me, we need a lot of work to be done there, right? And so through POSSE, for example, we are looking into what is going to be the next generation of doctors and engineers and lawyers and economists and politicians, right, for the future. And so the promise is about bringing strong leaders from diverse backgrounds that really reflects the country's rich demographic mix, right? Yeah. do a lot of work in expanding the pool from which top colleges and universities can recruit outstanding young leaders with diverse backgrounds and also by helping these institutions to build more interactive campus environments so that they can be more welcome, right, with people with different and diverse backgrounds. So, yeah, so I spent a lot of time thinking about that and doing work there and then the beautiful connection with Moody's is that we, as, as I do that and I see the next generation of college students, as they finish their college degrees, we start bringing that talent through Perfect. pipeline into, into Moody's. So pretty pleased about that. 
Yeah, that's the thing is like being able to connect it, not just advice, but connect it back to you and seeing Moody see it as a recruiting avenue that creates a flight wheel. And yes. I'm on the website and this, this looks amazing. And it's like member of the first posse becomes president of Ithaca College. Yes. I mean, I'm a big believer in this. It, it's like um, I was part of Inroads, which mm-hmm. is um, an organization like that. Right. They picked us in high school. All people need is an encouragement, someone to believe in them. I think if you're affluent, if you have great family, if you have great resources, you have more confidence. Yes, correct. When you don't, right, all we need is somebody to say, encourage us. It's like sometimes it's like one time one person could say, I believe in you and you're going to be amazing and you're going to be a future leader. I don't know. I feel like leaders are made at a very young age when you say things like that, you know? Yeah, 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 and and say you got this, right? Yeah. You see the fear in their eyes, and you say you got this, you got this, go, right? Yeah. You're more ready than you think. But if, but if a high school ready. teacher tells you, "I see you're going to be a great leader," yes, it's like, yes. okay, I guess he sees that. I need to go be a leader, right? Yeah. And I think stuff like that, I, I it's like what makes me. I don't know. I, I don't know if. You know, I don't know which one is it, right? I know people say it's built into us or not to be a great leader, but I think those encouragements, it starts getting that practice. To me, leadership a little bit is about practice, right? The more you learn to fail or the more you learn to take the reins in an emergency or a problem and and you improve, you take bigger and bigger challenges, right? Right. Correct. Like preparation for the next moment to come, right? For the next moment, right? And practicing how you should react and whether it's good or not, right? And so... It's so important. And so I love that, that you're doing that, right? Give us a little bit of advice, right? I think I think you, you, more advice. You've been giving us advice about your journey and everything, but it's like maybe someone looking into tech, maybe some, some looking into finance, right? Why finance is, is a great option for those people that sometimes feel like they don't have the skills. I mean, maybe they don't engineer. Because you're, you're kind of at, at the intersection of tech and finance, right? Yes, that's right. Tech, finance, data analytics. Look, I think the biggest... To me, yeah, the biggest power that we all have is the power of choice. What I mean by that, it doesn't matter the situation that you are going through in a given moment. You always have the power to choose how you respond and react to a situation. And that power of choice, nobody can take that away from you. Every day when you wake up in the morning, you are choosing how your day is going to go. So am I going to exercise today or am I not? Am I going to eat a toast or a donut? Am I going to be raising my hand to work on the new project to serve others and to make a difference or not? Am I going to say thank you or say hello to the person that crossed the road or no? You know, the decisions that you make every day can enhance your life and the life of others or can be to your detriment. And so... If you extend that, you extend that philosophy to you wanted to get started in a given industry, whether it's tech, whether it's finance, whether it's data analytics, right? The decisions that you make. And what I mean very specifically, are you doing the research, right? There's so much information. Do the research on the companies that you're interested in. That's what I've done all my life, right? Read about them. There's so much information available, right? Today, you can self-educate yourself and and become an expert without having to go even do a course, right? Listen to podcasts 
find the inspiration, right? To give you that strength and that extra inspiration to take the next step. Self-education and reading, I'm so strong. I'm so such a believer about that. Put the work, right? And then attempt potentially networks that you are uncomfortable, but that is going to help you to understand better an industry that you may not know very well. Because mm-hmm. every little thing, every nugget of information is going to make you feel more confident yeah. because you're acquiring the lingo, right? The phrases and how people talk to each other and interact with each other in that industry. And make the best of all the information that is out there and be, frankly, be ready to put the work in, be enthusiastic and be positive. Right. You got to put yourself out there, really. I think that's what you're saying, right? Yes. Take that risk like with everything in life. And I think, you know, unless you are unable to do those things, unless you uh, you don't have the energy or the, 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 the health to go put in that kind of work, if you have that, anyone should do it. Sometimes I tell people, like, you can get a job in any company you want. Correct. It's just a matter of time, right, and effort. It's just a matter. You can go into, if that's what you want, you can get it. But people yes. see it as a one-time thing, right? It's like one application, one rejection, I'm done. Yeah, no, I was going to say, Elias, I think one of the most important skills in any type of job, being able to work with people is probably one of the most important skills. There are many skills that are important, and there will be very specific skills depending on the domain that you're working on. Obviously, if you're a doctor, you need to have very specific skills. But I'm talking about the corporate America and you know, whether it's financial services, whether it's data app, you're going to have to work in a team. And those who work in a team are able to influence and bring people with you. Believe me, you'll be successful every time. But being able to work in teams and bring the best of the people that you work with, I think is one of the most important things. Yeah. I mean, I think that sometimes people underestimate the value of team projects at school and college, right? And don't realize that you always hear the same story, right? One person is doing all the work. Everybody else doesn't show up. They take credit for it. And one person wants to control how it's done. And the other person's like, you know, their opinions get ignored. But that is a microcosm of the rest of their lives. Learning how to play nice, well with others is so important. At Drift, we we have a principle, Drift leadership principle called be a curious learning machine. Mm -hmm. It's about, about learning, right? As long as you're open to learning from the experiences, you're, you're going to get better, right? I love seeing that, you know, those principles are, are global and that, that you also embrace them. And that's the same advice that you're sharing. I love that. Thank you very much for being on the show. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Elia. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for your advice and the generosity of your time. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for listening to the American Dream Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss when a new episode drops. If you like this episode, please leave a six-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about my American Dream mission, subscribe to my newsletter linked in the show notes.